I'm Katie. I'm Tiffany. And, and we, we talk hair. Doesn't really clank with this. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, happy 2023. We are so excited to kick off the new year with a brand new show for y'all. Um, we know lots of you guys have tons of questions and um, you just have, want answers for um, things that you're wondering about hair restoration. And what we want to do is we want to go through today and we want to basically just answer whatever we can, those most frequently asked questions for you guys. Um, you know, so hopefully this will be helpful. Um, so the first here we go. Thing, <laughs> so the first thing that we want to talk about today are, you know, what do you look for um, qualification-wise in your hair restoration surgeon? So me? Yeah. What do you What do you when look dealing, for? When for my hair, um, uh, first of all, I look for experience. Um, it doesn't necessarily, to me, matter years mm -hmm. or how many people, I mean, that does obviously make a difference, but you either have it or you don't to me. Like some people are really good at it. Some people have been doing it for a long time that maybe shouldn't have been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but a certain level of experience because every head is a little bit different does make a difference. People do specialize in FUE versus FUT. So there's that as well. Um, but I think definitely first priority on my list would be experience of the doctor, mm -hmm. um, kind of their background. Another thing I look for is kind of like their temperament, how they are, mm -hmm. in a way to where like, if I feel like I can trust them. It's kind of like when you come into a consult, how you feel when you talk to somebody, if you are if you trust somebody, if you can be like, hmm, I'm not really sure if I believe everything they're saying. Um, so definitely that something I look factor. for as well. That trust factor has to be there. Yeah, I love um, that. Even if their qualifications can be amazing, if I don't, if I sit down with somebody and I don't necessarily trust them, then that right. may not be the route I go. Right, I love in that. In regards to my hair transplant. Your hair transplant. <laughs> so, you know, for me, one of the most important things are going to be um, really the qualifications themselves. So what's so interesting in the, is that in this type of industry, there are a couple different techniques that are available in terms of hair transplants. And for some of those techniques, you actually don't even have to legally be a physician at all to perform those types of hair transplants. Which is a little scary. It's crazy to me. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. <laughs> um, I, I was mind blown, um, you know, kind of coming into this industry and realizing that, you know, the, the bar for some techniques to be able to be performed is pretty low. Um, so, you know, working with someone who is actually a physician and has trained as a hair transplant surgeon, it's very important. Um, so the International Society of Hair Restoration has a lot of continuing education. And so for, you know, surgeons to be diplomats of the International Society of Hair Restoration means that they are continuing their education each year. Um, so finding someone with that qualification is super, super important because, you know, technology is changing, techniques are changing, the industry itself is ever changing. So, you know, not only finding someone who is a physician themselves, um, you know, has some great training, some great credentials, some experience, um, has that trust factor, and is continuing their education. I think, in my opinion, that's kind of the, the total package there. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think is really important as a patient um, is to be able to see that, pa or that uh, physician's work, their before and after um, pictures, because, you know, um, it's important to see what what you know what you're working with and what that creative direction looks like based on that you know physician because hair restoration is an art so I think that's one of the things that is really important yeah and I think it's like great that you said that too because something we know just from working with so many doctors over the last several years is we can tell a doctor's work we right. can literally look at a transplant and be like oh that was doctor so-and-so or that was doctor so-and-so and making sure that vibes well with what your goals are for your hair right um will yeah. make, be a factor in who you pick. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. 
Um, so next question is, what qualifies someone to be a candidate for um, a hair transplant surgery in general? In general, mm -hmm. um, definitely age is a, is a factor. Um, looking at genetics too makes a difference. Uh, did whoever had hair loss in their family, did they lose that hair young? Mm -hmm. um, I talked to somebody yesterday who was a little bit younger and it was one of those things where he knew exactly who he was getting his hair loss from and he knew exactly when it started in that person. And it doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to follow that exact same pattern, but knowing that so we can set he was only 26 years old trying to set him up for success five years down the road, right. 10 years down the road. Like we're not, we hope your hair looks great. Obviously we want, we can make your hair look great now, but we want it to continue to be great down the road. Right. Um, so definitely looking at genetics um, mm -hmm. plays a difference. Donor, uh, mm -hmm. how, believe it or not, how big your head is <laughs> makes a difference. Those measurements are important. Measurements are important. Um, hair texture, how, what you're doing preventative wise, like where your hair loss is at. Are mm -hmm. you doing something preventative, which we usually typically recommend to almost everybody is either Honest. some type of laser, PRP, finasteride, minoxidil. Um, a lot of times people are like, well, I don't want to take a pill every day. You might lose the rest of your hair again. Yeah. And that's again, where we look at genetics and stress and all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely what can make a very good candidate is a lot of different factors. You can yeah. come in and have the best hair in the world, um, but be receding here. But if it's not necessarily, if you're not gonna do anything to take care of it, that's something we can only temporarily fix for you and you have to understand that. Yeah, because hair loss is progressive. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand um, in terms of you know what would be a best solution for them is that you know yeah like Tiffany said we can fix the hair now um, but if you don't take care of it long term because it is progressive you may end up only with hair in the area that we transplanted so I had that conversation yesterday with a patient you know most patients are um, very open to finding some type of maintenance solution that works really well for them because there are several options out there so I think that that's the best part is that it's typically pretty easy to find something that works well for someone for their lifestyle, their budget, what, you know, how much time and effort really that they want to put into that maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a really important factor. Um, in my opinion, it's just as important as adding more hair. So that definitely makes someone um, a really good candidate for hair restoration. Yeah, and men actively thin till they're 60. So if you're starting to lose hair at a younger age, um, we can definitely help you, but maintenance long-term, if you want to keep that hair, is going to be very, very important. Mm -hmm. Next topic I want to touch on is what are some things that a patient can do prior to surgery to prep themselves to make sure that they're ready to go, their donor is looking good, and kind of all their bases are covered before they go into surgery? Yeah, um, that's a good and common question. So donor is very important. The type, everybody's hair is either a little bit finer, uh, standard. Some people have very coarse, thick hair. Um, and definitely, especially if you're on like the finer side, you, we want to make sure your hair, we're going to get as much donor as we can when we go in there for a transplant. So definitely some of the things to do are PRP plasma injections into that donor, believe it or not, um, or, and, or into the areas to make the hair thick around the area. You will do a transplant laser therapy. I personally love that. That's my personal favorite because it covers everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't necessarily have to pick and choose where you want to put it. It's going to cover everything. Things like minoxidil can be great, especially in the crown. It helps keep that hair in the growing phase a little longer. And then of course, finasteride, um, is 90% effective in blocking that DHT, but will also just help kind of help preserve everything all over your head, which is of course, 
what we want to do when going into a transplant. So I definitely think those key factors, you don't have to do necessarily all of them, um, but I would say one type of non-surgical such as PRP or laser. And then of course, finasteride, uh, sol palmetto, which is um, not quite as aggressive, but the more all natural version of that. Um, so something if some, some people are leery taking like some type of ph pharmaceutical uh, medication, it's definitely your more all natural holistic route for that. But both good things and they do separate things. Um, so doing, taking those together is gonna be the best way to prepare your donor for surgery. Yeah, absolutely. So prepping that donor area to be, like you said, the thickest it could possibly, the healthiest it could possibly be is gonna result in a healthier, kind of thicker transplant, which mm -hmm. is great. Um, and then there's a couple things that you'll wanna do in the week or weeks leading up to the procedure that are really important. So um, anything that you can do in the week to two weeks before the procedure to subside the blood supply and the blood flow is really, really important because the less that you bleed during a surgery, the more successful the surgery can be. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, things like avoiding heavy lifting, working out, um, you know, drinking um, spicy foods, anything that thins the blood, we want to totally avoid if we can um, to, to the most, you know, the fullest extent that we possibly can kind of leading up to the surgery. So those things are important. Um, if you're actively using minoxidil, you want to go ahead and discontinue that a week before your surgery. If you are taking finasteride or Propecia, you can continue that. So mm -hmm. that won't affect anything in regards to the surgery itself. Um, now, any additional medications that you take, of course, you want to refer to your physician, um, you know, to discontinue or continue the use of that up until the surgery. Um, but those are a few kind of tips and tricks that you can do leading up to the surgery to make sure that it's going to be the most successful that it could possibly be. So I love that. Um, now, in terms of recovery, so, you know, there's a lot of different aspects when it comes to recovering from a surgery, but, you know, the biggest um, question that we have is really just how much downtime do you genuinely need to yeah. recover from this procedure? Now, you know, you think about there's um, kind of a physical aspect of that. So how am I going to look and how am I going to feel? And, you know, you have those things, but really how much true downtime are you going to need after a hair transplant? So... Again, it kind of does vary on the type of hair transplant we've done, if we've shaved the area, if we're talking clean, um, if there's some areas where we can kind of sweep over and cover in regards to when can I go out in public again. But as far as how you're gonna look, you're gonna have scabs for typically up to two weeks. Um, you can wear a hat on day three, so covering that up is nice. Uh, how you kind of deal with that is different. Obviously, some people ask how much time do I need off work? Right. And it really is just gonna depend on how quickly you're gonna be in front of somebody or not. But in regards to a healing process, again, everybody's a little bit different, um, but usually a good two weeks of, of probably taking it easy, maybe hiding away a little bit more, um, and kind of like Katie said before about prior, like no heavy lifting, things like that. You're definitely, depending on what kind of transplant you get. So your FUE, we are shaving the back of the head. So that's obviously going to be a different look for a bit. Um, most people will just kind of shave everything clean. Um, but that is a non-negotiable with an FUE. But you don't have a suture line. With the sutures, your hair can be a little bit longer to cover that up. But when you have a suture line, you don't want to be doing any heavy lifting till those come out on day 10 because you can stretch that the scar line a little bit more, which isn't, we don't want that. You know, you wanna make sure you're as still as possible. So those do kind of, that's really the only thing that varies recovery wise. But as far as either procedure, you're gonna have scabs for usually between 10 and 14 days, and then those should come out. Now, hair, 
How long does it take for hair to kind of grow in? Usually a few months. Mm -hmm. So your native hair should come back pretty within like 30 days. It should start, you'll kind of see it between that two weeks and four weeks mark. Um, but those new hairs don't really start coming in until about three months. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the hardest part of the that's process. That's the waiting game mm -hmm. is how long it takes for that new hair yeah. to grow in. But it, it it's worth the wait. It is. It's worth the wait. It's, you know, a short-term sacrifice for a long-term goal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people there, um, what, what they anticipate, I guess, the most is, you know, having the surgery or that kind of initial um you know, a few days in recovery. Um, but really, you know, it's that first couple of months that you've got to just kind of hold on to the faith, know that the hair is coming in because between month three and month four is when you really start to see some changes usually. Um, by month six, you're close to halfway there and it's going to take a full 12 to 14 months for everything to grow in. So it is a slow and steady process. Mm -hmm. I will say one of the most um, common, you know, comments on that is that you know, it's nice that it's such a gradual change mm -hmm. because if you're trying to, you know, keep this on the down low and not tell a lot of people, the gradual change is really nice because a lot of people don't notice. It's not like you come in one day with no hair and the next day you have a lot of hair. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's nice. It keeps it a little gradual, a little bit easier to, to hide. So, yeah. So another common question um, that we get asked a lot is mm -hmm. what age is it appropriate to have a transplant mm -hmm. and will you need more in the future? Yeah, those are great questions. So, you know, there's a lot of variables um, that go into what makes an appropriate age for a person to have a hair transplant. Um, kind of the old school rule of thumb was that it was 25 years old. However, there are so many factors that play in part of, you know, what makes the appropriate age for that specific patient. Um, so the things that we take into consideration are going to be um, what the hair loss looks like in the family. That's a huge, mm -hmm. huge factor. Genetics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to take a look at those. Just, you know, it doesn't give us the, um, you know, 100% um, layout of what the hair loss will look like in the future, but it does give us the closest insight to what it may do. Um, the extent of hair loss that you're experiencing already is a big factor. So when you look at, say, a patient who's under 25, but he's lost all of his hair already, um, other than donor hair, at that point, there's not really anything that's left to the imagination. So you could go ahead and, and treat that patient at that time. Um, if the hair loss is, you know, kind of in the same token, you've lost most of it, it's very extensive, everybody in the family has extensive hair loss, you know, those are, those are the times where it makes sense for a lot of people at those younger ages. Mm -hmm. um, if you're in a very early stage of hair loss, um, at 24, 25, 26, um, you could even be 30 and be in a very early stage of hair loss. At that point, it would not be appropriate to do a hair transplant. Yeah. So age is somewhat of a factor, but really more so it's at what extent is your hair loss at that time. And so the only person that can tell you that, of course, is going to be um, someone who's trained in the field. So um, using a microscope during a consultation, which is what we do, mm -hmm. is very helpful for us because what we can do is we can actually look at the hair microscopically and see, hey, are they actually losing hair? So are there actually empty hair canals in that area? Or are there just a lot of miniaturized hairs? So do we need to replace it or do we need to treat the hair that's there? So that's a big deal. Um, in terms of a second hair transplant, it really just depends on two things. The extent of hair loss that the patient is experiencing and their goals and expectations. So, you know, I've had patients that 
have, you know, pretty extensive hair loss and having one hair transplant made the world of difference for them. They were mm -hmm. thrilled. Yeah. They moved on with their life. It made a huge difference and kind of is what it is. And I have patients with significantly less hair loss that we did one transplant and their goal was that it was even thicker. So they were a candidate for two transplants at that point. So it does depend on, like I said, the extent of hair loss and the goals and expectations. Um, and really the only person that can help you with that is going to be number one, you knowing what those are, and then number two, a consultant making sure that they're matching those realistic expectations. So that's really what makes the biggest difference there. Yeah. Well, this has been great. We have really enjoyed our time. As always, if you have any questions, if y'all need anything, call us, leave us a comment, whatever we can do to help. So anyways, I'm Katie. I'm Tiffany. We, we talk, talk here. here.